your seats, find your seats. I know we've been kind of in this uh, weird pattern the last couple weeks. We had Family Ministry Sunday a couple weeks ago, which was awesome to celebrate all that God's been doing in the lives of our kids and kids' ministry and students as well. And then last week, it was an amazing turnout at Tully. Thank you, right? Thank you for showing up. Thanks for coming out. It was awesome. Uh, have gotten tons and tons of thank yous and, and things like that from the teachers and the staff and the administrators there at Tully. And it's just an awesome way for us to say, look, we're going we're gonna to take a time that we would normally spend together on Sunday, and we're going to give that time uh, to this community, and that was awesome. So thank you for coming out and serving. Hey, I've got one kind of another way for us to, to help serve and connect with people, and that's this. We do a thing here at Adventure called the Barnabas Project. We do this every year. It's a way for us. Barnabas was known as being an encourager, right? And so for us, and what encourage what it means to encourage is literally this. It means to take courage and put it in someone, right? Courage they didn't have before. It's not like encourage, but it's E-N, I, you know, just whatever, right? But that's what it means. It means to give someone courage they didn't have before. Uh, and we do this for college students who are on college campuses. Uh, because right now, as you can imagine, being a student on a college campus is not easy, right? Take, it's not easy just to be a person right now, right? So, so it's not easy to be a student on a college campus, and so we want to make sure that those students, especially ones that are connected here at Adventure, are encouraged. They know that somebody's praying for them. They know that somebody's taking care of them. So if you want to, uh, if you've got a college student on, on a college campus and want to get them connected with someone here and encourage you here at Adventure, Kathy Young, Kathy, if you could just wave. She's back there, right? Everybody see Kathy? Uh, Kathy Young is, is your point of contact, right? So we want to be able to serve and encourage uh, everybody at this church, including those who go away to go to school. Uh, so, yeah, that is a, another way of encouraging some of our, our crew here, uh, and it's an awesome way of doing that, right? Let's pray together, and then we're going to dive in this morning. Jesus, you are good, and we love you. And what an amazing morning it's been. God, I love just getting to hear those words that Mackenzie said today, that you are. I believe who you are. I believe that you are the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, the Savior, and I believe this. I believe that this is who you are, that you are God's son. Lord, it just is, it's an amazing thing. Like, those words... Those words change the course and direction of our eternity. And so, Father, today as we dive into your word, as we open up your word, as we talk about your word, I pray, Lord, that your spirit who is in this room would just open our eyes and our ears and soften our hearts to your truth today. And, Father, today we would walk out of this place different, not because we listen to somebody preach a message or a band sing a song or, or those kinds of things. We would leave different because we bumped into you, Lord, because when we do that, we bump into you, we can't stay the same. So, Jesus, that's my prayer today. Would we have an encounter with you, a moment with you, uh, where we just bump into you and everything changes. Jesus, we love you, and we pray all this in your name. Everybody set? All right. So, hey, we're starting our High Five series today, and I'm super excited about this. But I want to start with a little story. So, in aviation, there's this thing. It's called the 1 in 60 rule. And here's what it means. Here's the definition. Here's what it means. is For every one degree that a plane is off course... It will miss its destination by one mile for every 60 miles flown. Now, I know that's a lot of math, all right? And I know it's Sunday morning. Uh, for me, I get it too. I was trying to work through this and all how this worked and all this stuff this week. I don't do math, but here's, here's how it works, right? One degree is barely noticeable, but it adds up over time. And in the end, one degree off can be a matter of life or death. Like just for example, right? One foot. If you travel one foot and you're off by one degree, you're only going to miss your target by two-tenths of an inch, which you're like, that's not much. But you go a little bit further than that. After 100 yards, you're off by a little over five feet. After a mile, you're off by 92 feet. But if you try to fly around the equator one degree off, by the time you come back around again, you'll miss your target by almost 500 miles. So something that's barely noticeable adds up over time. And there's a real-life story that has to do with this. That not, not long ago, there was a flight leaving New Zealand to go do some sightseeing at, 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 around Antarctica, right? So they were going to go look at, they're going to take some tourists, and they were going to go look at glaciers and do some sightseeing around Antarctica. So they flew, they took off from New Zealand, and the pilots who were experienced pilots had no idea that the navigation to the computer they were using was two degrees off. Not one, two degrees off. Again, barely noticeable. These are experienced pilots, and, and two degrees is so, it's so barely noticeable that they didn't even pick up on the fact that they were heading in the wrong direction. And so when they descended out of the clouds, expecting to see, a, to see glaciers and, and all that kind of stuff, they flew directly into the side of a 12,000-foot mountain and killed everybody on the plane. Two degrees off. Two degrees off. That's all it took. That's all it took. And again, at that moment, when you're descending out of the clouds at 500 miles an hour, you don't have time to say to yourself or think, how did we get here? 
Like, we're not supposed to be here. This is not, this is not what we expected. And so here's what I know, right? Here's what I know. We're not really talking about airplanes anymore, are we? There are a lot of us in here today, me too, me too, where at some point we got off course when it comes to our lives. We didn't plan on getting off course. We didn't wake up one day just like those pilots flying that plane. Their plan was not to crash their plane with everyone in it into the side of a 12,000-foot mountain, right? We didn't plan. We didn't plan to, to get our lives off course. We didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? Today, I would really like to crash my life into something. I don't think anybody wakes up with those kinds of ideas. I don't think we wake up with the ideas and say, you know what? I'd really like to torpedo my marriage today. Seems like a good day to, to kind of end that. Or, or it seems, you know what? It seems like a great day to get fired. Maybe some of you are like, no, nah, it, it is, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I, I guess it's, that's, I'm guessing that's probably not the case. But, but here's what happens. Maybe a while ago, we started drifting one degree off. And we didn't notice until the time came when we crashed into something that we didn't expect to see coming. We didn't expect it. We didn't want it. We didn't plan for that to happen. And maybe for some of us, that's still so recent that we're picking up the pieces. But here's the deal. Unlike the pilots in the plane, we've had time to think about it. We've got the gift of hindsight, right, being 2020. And, and maybe we're still asking questions like this. How did this happen to my marriage? How did this happen? Where did our relationship start to get off track that now we're so far apart that I don't know if we can come back together? How did I get so far off course when it comes to my job? How did I end up so far off course when it comes to my faith and my connection and my relationship to Jesus? Maybe for you, Jesus used to be really important in your life, and you're starting to ask yourself, how did I get so apathetic? How did we end up so busy? How did we get so sped up in life that we're exhausted and we're tired and we're burnt out all the time? How did that happen? And my guess is this. Most likely, it wasn't a hard turn, right? It wasn't like someone grabbed the wheel of your life and jerked it off course, right? It, it wasn't like that. It didn't happen in an instant. But here's the deal. I know maybe for some of us, that is the case. And I don't want to ignore the, the, those of us in the room. Where the reality for us is this. One moment or one event changed the course of our lives forever. And if that's you, it probably feels like at some point in your life, and maybe it's now, you had, to start, you had to try and start over completely from the beginning. But regardless of how, whether it was a slow drift or a sudden change, if we're being honest, here's the truth. Many of us have found ourselves in places and moments where we're far away. We're far away from where or who we thought we'd be. We're, we're, we're far away. We look up and we realize, how did I get here? We're, we're far away from, from where or who we wanted to be. I didn't want this. This is not what I planned. I didn't plan on this. And we're far away from where we expected to be in life. We didn't want this. We didn't plan for this. We didn't wake up and decide one day just to intentionally get off track. Without even knowing it, for most of us, we got pulled off course. By everything in this world that influences us, that pulls on us, that pushes on us, that tries to tell us this is important or that is important. And here's what happens. We end up in these how did we get here moments. And the question is this. When we find ourselves in that space, how do we reset? How do we recalibrate? How do we recenter ourselves back on the right navigation line? How do I get this thing back on track where it needs to go? And so th this question right here. This question right here is why every single year here at Adventure, we do what we call a values and priorities series, right? We don't do it just to wave the flag of our church and go, hey, aren't we nice? Look at these things we put up on our website and put on things we hand to you. Like, we don't, that's not why we do this. We do this because that's how we answer that question. Like, how do I reset? How do I recalibrate? How do I recenter my life? Here's the answer, right? Here's the answer up front. Our values and priorities or what we use to say set, calibrated, and centered on living the with God life in both who we are and in what we do. We're going to talk more about that today, right? But that's why we ask this question, and that's why we do this series, is because really our values and our priorities, that's how we stay set on the right navigation line, both in who we are and what we do when it comes to living the with God life that Jesus makes possible. And here's the thing, at Adventure, we call our values and priorities our high five. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack these together. But, but I want you to get this because it's really important, all right? Get this, okay? We have to apply these five values and priorities 
both, to both our lives and our church. Right? It's both and, because that's the only way it works. We have to apply these things both to our lives and to our church. It has to be both and. It can't be either or, because that's the only way this works. See, these values and priorities we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, they're not just organizational values. It's not just for the church. It's not for the church. It's not just for the church and then not for you. Right? To write these off, to say, I'm going to write these off personally. I don't need to do that. Here's what you're doing. You're just making it easier for you to get off course in your life. And if we're being honest, a person without values and priorities isn't safe. I mean, that's just the truth. A person without values and priorities isn't safe. Just like a plane descending out of the clouds at 500 miles an hour off course, that's not safe. A person without values and priorities, they're not safe because they might up and bail on you. Right? Someone with values and priorities, they're wishy-washy. They're this, they're that. There's, there's no consistency. There's no direction. There's no purpose. There's nothing kind of holding them on some kind of line that they're going to walk and navigate through life, right? They're not safe. They're dangerous. And here's the deal. They're not just personal values and priorities. It's not, it's not like I'm sitting here going, hey, listen, the five things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, you all do this. It's just for you. It's not, that's not the case, right? To write these off as a church organizationally, what we're flirting with in that case is something called mission drift. Right? We're going to drift off course. We're going to drift off mission. We're going to let go of the rope. We're going to lose sight of, of who we need to be and, and what we want to do in this community and in our lives. And here's what happens. Over time, at best, if we write these things off as a church, at best, we'll become irrelevant. We'll be inward focused. We'll become a part of the statistic of the number of, of churches, the growing number of churches that are closing their doors forever. That's at best. At worst, you get a documentary or a podcast made after you, right? We don't want that. But let's be real. Again, a church without values and priorities is not safe. It's not safe. It's not safe because there's, not, there's no consistency. We're not rooted to anything. There's nothing that we say, this is, our, this is our foundation. This is who we are. This is what we do. It's not safe. That's where all this church hurt, spiritual abuse, all this kind of stuff that you're reading about and hearing about going on right now in our culture within the church, right? That's because of this. It's because churches lose sight of their values and priorities. And when that happens, church isn't safe anymore. And so when it comes to our high five here at Adventure, it's not either or. It has to be both and for us as people and for us as a church. Because the same was true for Jesus, Right, we, we find this in Matthew 22, starting at verse 34. Jesus, it says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. He said, Jesus, what is teacher? Which you can kind of see him being sarcastic. Teacher. Like, I always picture like the Pharisees being real nasal. Like, teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? I got him. You know, in his mind, he's going, I got him. Watch this. And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And he says this, the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, all of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, Jesus had values and priorities. And this is, just, this is just one example, right? There are many other examples of the kinds of values and priorities Jesus had. There are a bunch of others. But here's the thing. Here's the central piece to all of this, right? The two greatest commandments for Jesus, the expectation is that these are both the organizational type values and priorities of his kingdom, right? Jesus is in charge of his kingdom. Jesus is the king of his kingdom. He gets to set the rules in his kingdom. He says, listen, this is how my kingdom is going to be organized. My kingdom is going to be organized around loving God and loving people. Those are our values. Those are our priorities. Those are just a couple. There are more. But those are the big two. That's how my kingdom is going to be organized. I'm going to organize my kingdom around these two things. And it's going to drive who we are, and it's going to drive what we do. But then he says this. I think for us, we have to understand, it's not just for the kingdom. It's also for those that want to live in it. When you step into Jesus' kingdom, his organizational values are love God, love people. If you're going to be a citizen of his kingdom, those are also your values. Jesus made sure, right, his intention was for these values and these priorities to be not only for his kingdom, but for those who want to live in it. It's organizational and it's personal. And he says everything hangs on these two commandments. 
Jesus isn't saying that loving God, loving people was just for him. Don't you worry about this, guys, I got it, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that it's just for us. Jesus isn't saying, well, do as I say, but not as I do. His expectation was both and. It's both for his kingdom and for those who want to live in it. And so I know that I'm doing a ton of setup today, and that's kind of what today's going to be about. It's going to be a little bit of an intro. But what I want to do real quick before we really dive in and unpack what we're going to talk about is I want to define what I mean when I say values and priorities and why they matter. Because a lot, a lot of those are, those are loaded words. And a lot of things get attached to those values and priorities, whether it's something from a, from a job standpoint or a family standpoint, right? A lot of things get attached to those kinds of words. And so I want to make sure we understand what I'm talking about, how we at Adventure define these and how we see these. Because here's the thing. They're more than just rules and requirements. They're more than just expectations. Our values and priorities are not just boxes to check. We don't sit down at the end of the year and go, did we check all five of these? They're not that, right? See, here's, here's what happens, and this is for us personally and, and for us as a church. The direction and course and destination of our identity and purpose is driven by our values and priorities. That's the truth. The direction and course and destination of your identity, your life, and your life's purpose, how you live your life, is defined by your values and your priorities. And this applies to us personally and as a church. When something, here's, here's, let me just unpack this, right? Let me break this apart. When something in our lives has value or, or something in our lives is a value, it's something that has worth. It's valuable. It has significance. It carries weight. It, it's important. And so here's how we define our values. And if you want to take notes, you can write them down. Or here's how we do it at Adventure. If you're new, just pull out your phone and take a picture of the screen. It's the easiest way to do that, Right? Here's how we define this. Values are the principles of life that, that, and ways of living that we put the highest price tag on. Here's what it says. Values say it's worth it to live this way. Make sense? It's worth it to live this way. And some of us, if you've ever tried to kind of change pieces of your life, like my wife and I right now are, we're on, we're, we, we decided at the end of the summer it's time to get healthy. We wait for bathing suit season to end, Right? Before, before it's, because I personally, like, I, I like looking like a seal, right? So we wait for this thing, but we're trying to get healthy. So we're changing some things about our diet. We're changing some, some things about the, the, the foods that we eat. We're changing some things about our routine and, and our and, and exercise and all that kind of stuff. And last night, we took our kids to the Loose City game, which was amazing. It was a sellout. It was fantastic. We won. It was great. But all around me were big, giant soccer ball bowls full of nachos, and I'm going, I, like, I, like I, was, I almost had to apologize to, the, to the, the couple in front of me of like, hey, I'm sorry, can I just bury my face in those, right? But here's what I had to realize. It's worth it. It's worth it for my own personal and physical health for me to live the way that I'm living right now. To say no to nachos covered in cheese and all that kind of stuff and say yes to some healthier foods. That's a value, right? So it's a principle. It's going to drive the way I live my life. And at the end of the day, whether I'm saying yes or no to various things, what at the end of the day, when I put my head down on my pillow, it says, it's this, it's worth it. It's worth it for me to live this way. It's significant. It's the, our values, they, they, they determine, right, when it comes to how we operate, those are what our values say. It's worth it to live this way. And then when it comes to our priorities, our priorities are how we organize our lives, Right? Because here's the thing, everything wants to be important, but if everything in your life was equally important, it would be chaos. You would go crazy. Everything wants to be important, but we know in our lives not everything carries the same level of importance. That's called priorities. It's how we organize our lives. They help to determine what's most important. And here's what they decide. Like our values say it's worth it to live this way, our priorities, they decide, and what they say is they get a say in who or what gets our time, energy, effort, presence, attention, finances, etc. Like who's going to get that? And in what order? Who gets the most of this? Who gets the next and the next and the next? Our priorities, they're how we decide. They're how we make those kinds of decisions. And so here's why our values and priorities really matter. As a church and as people, our values and priorities, they're rooted in our identity, which is who we are, and they get put on display through how we live, what we do. And if you want to prove this, all you have to do, all you have to do is watch each other's lives. Just observe each other. 
I mean, here's the thing. If you followed me around for a couple of days or, or if I followed you around for a couple of days, not creepy, not weird, but if we just, like, hey, I just want to follow you around for a couple of days and watch your life. Here's what will happen. I will, after the end of a couple of days, be able to determine what your values and priorities are. And you do the same for me. Just by observing each other's lives, we would see what our values and we'd know. You'd know what Brad prioritizes and what his values are. You would know what's worth it to me and what's important to me. And I would know the same thing about you. So having values and priorities that are rooted in our identity, it's the difference between living in integrity or living in hypocrisy. That's the truth. Having values and priorities that are rooted in our identity is the difference between living your life in integrity or in hypocrisy. It's the difference between a life of truth and a life that's trying to fake it till you make it. It's the difference of having a life that's on track or one that's drifting without a heading. And can I ask a really loaded question? Don't answer this out loud. If someone followed you around and watched your life, could they tell based on how you lived your life that your identity, your values, and your priorities were formed around Jesus? Could they tell? Could they tell that you were a believer and follower of Jesus? Would they say, after watching you, that dude loves Jesus? Or that girl loves Jesus? If they watched your life for a couple days, would they be able to say that? Or would your life outside of this place look similar to everybody else? It's a loaded question. But think about it. Because who we are comes out in what we do. That's how it works. Our doing is influenced by our being. Our being comes first. And what we do is influenced by who we are. And it's expressed what we do, right? who we are is expressed in what we do. So this is why unpacking our values and priorities is so important. As a church, here's the truth. I want adventure to be different. I want adventure to be different from all of the other churches. Not that those churches are bad. I just don't want to be like them, right? I want to be like us. I want adventure to be different. And here's why I want adventure to be different. Because adventure people are different. Adventure people are different. That's what's going to make the difference. It's not changing programming. It's not doing different songs or lights or screens or anything like that. It's us. We make up the church. But here's, here's how we have to get there. In order to get to that place, we have to stay on course. And in order for us to stay on course, it means we have to make these values personal. Like a lot of times you hear people say, don't take things personal. I'm saying, take today personal. Make it really personal. And here's our most important one, right? So we're going to start at the top of our high five. Our most important value that every other value comes out of is this. We say this, we live the way. That's our high five number one. We live the way. And what it says is this, Jesus is the way and the word. He lived the way God desires by being connected to the word of God, under the authority of God, in the will of God, and empowered by the spirit of God, and we do the same. That's our number one value. And every other value we have, including even the mission statement of our church, right? We want to invite people to come as they are and become all that God desires. That's why we exist. That's why this church exists. It's what we exist for. It's rooted in this. Everything comes out of this first value. And what we find in Jesus' life is that he lived a life of submission and surrender to his Father. In John 5, Jesus says this. He gives this answer. He says, very truly, I tell you, the Son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so you all will be amazed. Jesus lived his life in submission and surrender and obedience to his father. Jesus, we talk about become all that God desires you to be. Jesus lived the way that God desired for him to live by first being connected to his word. And so really kind of the crux of this value is simply this. We believe in biblical authority here at this church. We believe that the word of God is true and it has authority and it speaks into our lives and we should listen. That we should pattern our lives and our values and priorities based off of the truth that we find in scripture. We believe, like Jesus, that living the way that God desires for us to live begins with our connection to the word of God. The truth that we find in scripture. This is where we discover God's authority. It's where we discover the will and the desires of God. It's where we discover that. 
It's where we discover what it's like to be fueled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible, really, I want to make it simple today. The Bible answers four really big questions. The first one is, who is God? The second one is, who am I to God? The third one is, what does God want for me? What does God want with me? And the fourth one is, how does this affect how I live my life? I mean, you talk about some some major questions. Who is God? And who am I to God? You You ever wondered that? Like, who am I to him? Like, and what does he, what does he, what does he want for me? What does God want for me? What does he want with me? And, and, and at the end of the day, what's that going to do? How's that going to affect my life? And I want to unpack this quickly by looking through the lens of some guys in the Bible that are a lot like us. They're just like us in the fact that they're trying to do the best they can with what they have. And they bump into Jesus, and everything changes. I mean, they're just like us. They're, they're trying to do the best they can with what they have, and then Jesus shows up, and everything changes, because here's the deal. See, the reason that we need to look at the Bible through the lens and the lives of people like us is this. I can give you all kinds of reasons. There's no shortage of reasons of why you should trust the Bible. But it still won't convince you. It won't, especially maybe for some of us that, that we've got people in our lives that, that are not believers. We can sit down and rattle off the list of all the facts and truth when it comes to the Bible, and they go, nah. Like, I could tell, we could tell them, I could tell you, we could tell them that the Bible, even though it was written over a 1,500-year period by a bunch of different writers who are all writing at, at different kinds of cultural context and time periods and perspective, 1,500 years written by different people in different places in different times in different cultures, And yet, every single page points to the exact same truth. It's like a 1,500-year game of telephone. Do you ever play that with your kids? And, like, the message gets around to the end. It's like, that's not anything close. Imagine playing the game of telephone for 1,500 years, and when you get to the end, the whole message is still intact. No other literary work can claim that. I can tell you that the Bible is, is really one of, if not the only book, to be 100% accurate historically and geographically. Do you know that? The Bible has never been disproven historically and geographically. When the Bible says something happened, researchers and archaeologists and people like that, they really know like, it happened. The Bible said it happened, and, and when the Bible said it happened, it, it actually happened. Where the Bible says things were, they found them. I mean, just recently, they found a city that they're like, hey, we, there's a city in the Bible that the Bible says is there. It's not there. Well, then they looked under the city that they found, and sure enough, there it was there. It's crazy. Every single time, the Bible has never been disproven. I could tell you, and this is nuts, I could tell you in the Bible, and this is real, I researched this this week, that there is, that there is more proof of Jesus' existence than there is for Abraham Lincoln, William Shakespeare, and Alexander the Great. That's fact. You're like, yeah, but we've got a big statue in Washington of, of Abraham Lincoln. Great. That's concrete, right? Or marble, whatever it is. I've never been, right? There's more evidence of Jesus' existence than one of the most famous presidents in the United States, one of the most famous playwriters and a guy that tried to conquer the world. But it still probably isn't going to convince you. And that probably won't convince your neighbor or your coworker or your family member or your friends that are skeptical. Because here's why. Like the guys that we're about to meet in Scripture, we got to try it for ourselves. We need to try it for ourselves. Here's what it says in Matthew 4, starting in verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is like a giant lake. You can see to the other side of it, right? It's not, when we, see, when we think sea, you think like big body of water. But this is, you can see to the other side of it. He's walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers, Simon, who is also called Peter, and his brother Andrew. So they were casting a net into the lake For they were fishermen, as if it wasn't like, thank you, Bible, appreciate that. Just want to make sure this is clear. They were fishermen. And Jesus, he calls out to him. he says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And it tells us that Peter and his brother Andrew at once left their nets and followed him. And Matthew says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, also fishermen. Jesus called to them, come follow me, and I'll teach you to fish for people. And it says this, they immediately, their poor dad, they immediately left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. Like, good luck, dad. 
See, Jesus, what happens is he extends this invitation to Peter and his brother Andrew, and then to James and his brother John to come and follow him. And we've got to realize is that this is more, in this culture, in this time, this is more than just a standard invite. See, for people back in this day, to be a disciple or an apprentice of a rabbi was a ticket out of poverty. To be a chosen disciple or apprentice of a rabbi teacher, a rabbi scholar, right, it was your ticket out of poverty, it was the ticket out of a life that's going to barely get by. I mean, but here's the deal. You had to be chosen at a really young age. And the way you were chosen was you were grilled and you were tested on your knowledge of the scriptures. And if you passed the test, that's how you were picked. Rabbis, they picked their apprentices, they picked their disciples from Hebrew school. They wanted the smartest of the smart, the best of the best. But that's not where Jesus finds his crew. Where does Jesus find Peter and the guys? He finds them fishing. And some of them were young guys. Right? Peter was a little bit older, right? But his brother Andrew, more than likely, teenager. James and John, more than likely, teenagers. How do we know that? They're fishing with their dad. They're still learning. That's where he finds the guys. He finds them fishing. And here's what we know. right? Here's what you can kind of put two and two together. That tells us that these four guys didn't make the cut before. Nobody chose them. Nobody picked them. And so like most people, the course and the direction of their lives has been set on this life that is kind of living paycheck to paycheck. And maybe some of us go, yeah, I get that. They're just trying to make ends meet. They're trying to grind out some kind of existence. And the, the interesting thing, too, is anytime, anytime you see the, the, the disciples, Jesus' apprentices, fishing, they're always pulling up empty nets. So they, they weren't very good at it. But when Jesus calls to these guys, they don't really have a clue what they're getting into. Like many of us here in this room today, they've accepted some version of the truth that this kind of life, this barely getting by, paycheck to paycheck, scratching out an existence, that's all that's available or possible to somebody like me. And in this moment, Jesus, when he calls out to them, he says this, if you follow me, You'll become something more than you are now. And I'll make sure that happens. I'll take on the responsibility, Jesus says. I will make you. Not you might be or let's hope you. No, I'll make you into someone who fishes for people. I will make you into something more than you are now. See, the only thing these guys know is this. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's an important person. And this rabbi, this teacher, this important person just called to them out on the water and he told them that he sees something in them that no one else does and that no one else has. And he's asking us to follow him. For how long? We don't know. Well, wh what are we going to be doing? Don't know. Where are we going to go? Don't know. But here's what they learned. And here's what they realize in that moment. Wherever we go, whatever we do, and for however long it takes, it has to be better than this. It has to be better than this. It has to be better than this kind of grinding out an existence all day, right? It has to be better than smelling like fish and barely getting by in life. And I want to I point out something, right? Because maybe a lot of us, we think, well, listen, I, like, I would love to, to like, wrap my life around and have my life be formed around the truth that's in scripture, but, but Brad, my life is way too messy. Can I just tell you this? That Here's what we find in the Bible. It says they dropped their nets immediately and they followed Jesus. As they were, just like we say here at our church, come as you are. Which meant they didn't, it doesn't say they dropped their nets, went home, took a shower, got their lives put together, changed into some nice clothes, and then followed Jesus. They dropped their nets and they followed Jesus, sweaty, gross, and smelling like fish. Here's the truth, church. Jesus doesn't only call and invite pretty and put together. And we're going to talk more about that in a couple weeks. When we talk about this value we have that's called stepping into the mess. And here's what happens over the next three years. Here's what they learn. They learn from Jesus' teaching, and they learn from Jesus opening the word to them. His connection, Jesus' connection to the word, he shared his connection to the word with them. And so from the word, they learn from Jesus the truth about who God is. And that's this, God is the king, and he's a good father. That's the truth. 
And maybe some of us, we've thought, well, God is mean. And when I hear father, all I think about is my own father. And my own father wasn't a great father. Here's they learn that they learn that God is king and that he's a good father. Matthew 7, Jesus teaches, he says, listen, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, if you, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts, you're not going to give your kid a stone when he's hungry. You're not going to give your kid a snake. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? God is king. He's a good dad. They learn from Jesus' connection to the word about who they are to God. They learn that they are chosen and loved friends and children of God. Jesus says this in John 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you so that you could go bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. They learn who they are to God. Who am I to God? I am chosen. And I am his child. And I can be friends with God. I can be friends of God. They learn what God wants for them. That God wants good for them. He wants good for us. He wants good for us in our lives. And the word good in scripture literally means how it's supposed to be. It works like it's supposed to. John 10, Jesus says the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you can have life and have it to the full, the life that you're supposed to have. The life that you're meant to have, the with God life. It's not a life where all your troubles go away. It's not a life where everything disappears. It's not a life without stress, but it's a life with God in the midst of all of that stuff. It's a life when I face troubles, guess what? I don't have to tell God about my troubles. I can tell my troubles about God. I don't have to tell God about my depression. I can tell my depression about God. I don't have to tell God about my stress. I can tell my stress about God because I'm with him. He wants good for us. And when they knew the truth from Jesus' teaching, his connection to the word, his reading of the word about who God is, who they were, and what God wanted for them, their lives would never be the same again. Their lives are never going to be the same, and it's the same for us. On top of a mountain, Jesus grabbed some of his followers together before he went home to be with his father. And he says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Your life's never going to be the same again. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's what your life is about. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And here's the deal. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Your life will never be the same. When we answer those four questions, who's God? Who am I to God? What does God want with me? What does he want for, for me? What's that mean about my life? My life will never be the same. And here's where that is. All of that's in here. All of that truth is in these pages. If you want to know where you find it, it's right here. See, a lot of us, let's be real, we've accepted some version of the truth when it comes to our lives. We've let other authorities influence our values and priorities. And because of that, they've determined the direction and course and destination of our lives. We've let something else or someone else be the authority. We've let them influence what we value, what we believe is worth it. We've let them influence our priorities, what's important to us. And because of that, they've determined the course and destination of our lives. But here's the real truth. Real authority is in here. Real truth, real goodness, real authority, holiness, a life that's unique, unlike anything else, the with God life, it's all in there. To live the way. If we want to live the way that God desires us to live, we have to, as people, live connected to his word. But it starts like it did for Peter and Andrew, James, and John. Church, today, I'm, I'm begging you, let go of your nets. Let them go. Whatever it is, whatever other authority you're hanging on to in your life, drop it. Let go of the junk that's not of Jesus, that's trying to convince you that it will take care of you. Let go of the stuff, the accepted truth in your life that says this is all your life will ever be. Someone like you, that's made mistakes like you, that has a past like you, that does things like you, that looks like you, 
this is all you'll ever be. Let go of that accepted truth. Because here's the deal, when the things that are not of Jesus stop being an authority in your life, when they stop driving and, and they, they stop driving and directing the course of your identity, guess what gets to take their place? Jesus. His truth, his word, his promise, his character, his integrity, his way. We say this a lot here at Adventure, and I'm almost done, right? We say this, we, that we believe that in the Bible, God outlines for us a better way to live. But here, I want to be really clear today. Because I promised you, when I stood up here almost three years ago and said, I'm happy to be your pastor, I told you two things. One, I'm always going to tell the truth, and I'm never going to lie to you, even when it's difficult. I want to tell you the truth today. It's a better way to live, but better doesn't always mean easier. And here's the thing, truth sometimes isn't easy to hear. Sometimes the truth in Scripture, right, and when the Bible talks about itself, it talks about itself as a sword. It calls itself a sword, right? It, it's, a, it's, a living, it's, it, it's, a, it's a sword that divides all the way into our spirit. It divides our, I mean, it, it cuts deep sometimes. It's not comfortable all the time. But here's what we find. In the Bible, we find truth about how we're supposed to deal with politics and government, and you're like, oh, he's going there. Yes, I am. You can email me at justinb at adventureky. I know I've used that joke before, but I'm using it again. It does. It, we have truth on how we deal with government and politics. And here's the truth. We are led in Scripture to be unifiers and peacemakers, not dividers. That's the truth. Scripture asks us to pray for people that are on the opposite side of the aisle for us. To care enough about praying, not just that they would change their minds or wake up or stop voting the way they vote, but pray for them as people, as husbands and, 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 and wives and, and moms and dads and their families. Pray for them. So that's church. When it comes to politics... That's who we're going to strive to be as, as a people and as a church. And if you're like, no, I would rather be passive-aggressive on social media, go to a different church. <laughs> when it comes to all this stuff, the stance that we take when it comes to government, the stance that we take is on the side of truth that we find in the Bible, and that's it. That's it. We talked about this a few months ago when we were teaching through Romans, right? That, that where we draw the line, right, where we draw the line, where we push back is when the government says yes to something that God says no to. Or the government says no to something that God says yes to. And you want to know where all that's found? Here. That's where you find it. In the Bible, we find clear truth about sexuality, all the things that are confusing in our world today, right? We find the truth about sexuality in Scripture, that it's intended to be for a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. That's it. That's the safest place for it. That's the way God created it. That's the way it's supposed to be. In a world that's confusing right now, right, we learn in Scripture that there are two genders, male and female. That's it. That's how God designed us. On Facebook right now, there are over 200 options to choose when it comes to your gender. It's crazy. And so here's, what, here's the deal. I'm not saying this to be provocative. I'm not saying this to hit hot buttons. I, just, I want you to know where we find truth because it is confusing in the world today. The world is a confusing place. And there's all kinds of things that want to influence it and get us off course. And I don't want us to get off course. So here's what I'm going to say. Or I'm going to land with this, right? As a people and as, as a church, as a people and as a church, we will teach and we will preach and we will pursue healthy lives, healthy sexuality, healthy ways of, of, of dealing with our relationships. We'll pursue all of that based on what we find in here and this alone. We're not looking for other sources, we're not trying to bend this to make it fit our lives. We're going to form our lives around this. That's how we're going to do this. But don't miss this, okay? In the Bible, we find the truth that no matter what sins, no matter what mistakes, regrets, shame that we have in our pasts, here's what we learn. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as a people and as a church, we believe that. We believe that no one is too messy, too broken. There are no such things as lost causes. Anyone, anyone 
is welcome in this place as they are. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to figure your life out to step into this place. Where do we find that? We find that in Scripture. In the Bible, we find truth about our relationships, our finances, our friendships. We find truth about how to treat people that are our enemies. And guess what? It doesn't involve getting even or destroying them. It involves praying for them, forgiving them, and loving them. In the Bible, we find truth about how we approach people that aren't following Jesus. What do we do with people that aren't following Jesus? Here's what we do. We lovingly pursue them, we seek after them, and we lead them into the same room with Jesus so they can bump into him and he can change their life. That's what we do. In the Bible, we find truth, and anything outside of this is not truth. It's just not. We say this, right? Living the way, staying connected to the word, is the safest place you can be in life. It doesn't mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean that, that Jesus won't lead you to places that are difficult. But living the way is the safest thing, it's the safest place you could be. Outside of that, it's not safe. And that's why our number one value and priority has to do with biblical authority. Teaching, reading, and applying the scriptures to our own lives. We will not, as a church, teach anything outside of the scripture. And here's why. If we are willing to live the way, which means this, to adjust and surrender our lives to what God says is true. Not try to adjust and get God to surrender to what we say is true. But if we will adjust and surrender our lives to the truth we find in Scripture, then we will experience a life like no other, the with God life. And as a result, we will become a church like no other. I want to close with a question. Really, it's a two-parter, right? And then a quote, and then I'll be done. I'll shut up, I promise. The question is this. Is living the way of Jesus, which means being connected to the word of God, under the authority of God, in the desires and will of God, empowered by, is that valuable to you? Is it worth it? It means changing things. It may mean some things in your life need to change, but you know what? Jesus says you don't have to do it alone. You get a church community. You get my Holy Spirit. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You'll never be without me, Right? Maybe some things need to change, but is it worth it? Here's part two. Are you willing to make this a priority? I mean, are you willing to rearrange and realign and submit and surrender your life to the truth that you find in Scripture? Is it important? Because I'll just tell you, church, that's what we're going to do here. That's the kind of church we're going to be because that's the kind of people we're going to be. And I want to I end with this quote from A.W. Tozer. I read this and about ran through a wall. It says this, God has given us his word. He's placed himself at our disposal in response to believing prayer. He's made available to us the infinite power of his Holy Spirit to enable us to do his will on earth. And I love this last line. There is no excuse for us, for our acting like timid weaklings. Adventure, it's our time. It's our time. You know, you know who's not surprised by everything going on in 2022? Jesus. And yet, this church where you find yourself sitting today that was born almost 20 years ago in a living room, guess whose idea it wasn't? It wasn't the families sitting in that living room deciding to plant a church. Guess whose idea adventure was? Jesus's. And Jesus has placed us here at this time in 2022 in a year that he's not surprised about or shocked about. He's put us here to make a difference. Because that's the vehicle that Jesus uses. That's the vehicle that Jesus has chosen to change the world. It's relationships. It's family. It's discipleship. It's the church. The church is not a building. The church is a movement. The church is not an address. The church is people. And Jesus has decided, he, he, he decided, this was his idea, and he put us here, right here in this moment in J-Town to make a difference to live the way and invite other people to do the same. It's our time. It's our time. It's time to step up to the moment. It's time to get our lives back on track. And it, here's the thing, hopefully you've learned today, it doesn't matter how far lost or crashed or burned you are, Jesus says, get back in. Just get up. There is no condemnation. 
your worst moment in life no longer has a say in your life because of Jesus. It's time for us to let go of our nets so we can pick this up and leave everything to follow Jesus. Where are we going to go? Don't know. How long are we going to be? Don't know. What are we going to do? Don't know. But it's with him. He sees something in us. He sees something in you. He sees something in this place that maybe nobody else sees. And he invites you in to that. And the first step we take, staying connected to this, making this our authority, and letting go of everything else. I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. If you today need somebody to pray for you, we would love to do that. Nick and Christy will be down here in this corner. Justin, I think Scott and Kathy are in the back. I'll be down here uh, on the front. If you need somebody to pray with you today, we'd love to pray with you. If today you want to say yes to Jesus or yes to this with God life, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've been skeptical and you, you want a place to start. This is a place to start fresh and start new. If, if, you want to, if you want to join this church, you want to be a part of what we're doing here. We don't do membership here at Adventure. We're not a country club. We do partnership. We're part of a movement. You can join it. Doesn't matter. You can be messy. You can be, I mean, it does, Jesus doesn't call pretty. Jesus didn't die only for pretty. It's okay. You can be a part of this. If you want to do any of that, you can find any one of us. We would love to pray with you, chat you, chat with that, uh, chat you through, chat through that with you. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, you're good. This morning, Father, we just say thank you that you're a good dad. We know who you are. You're king and you're a good dad. We know who we are to you because we find it in your word. You love us. You call us your kids. You call us your, your children. We know how much we're worth to you. We are worth the life of your son. We know what you want for us. You want good for us. Life the way it's supposed to be. Father, when we, when we surrender ourselves, when we let go of our nets, everything about who we are changes. Jesus, we pray for that today. We ask that you would begin to change hearts and minds and lives. That we would recognize what's at our disposal. The most powerful, awesome person in the universe is at our disposal. So it's not, there's no excuse for being timid. Father, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.